Hi there, it's good to be with you today through our midweek sermon recap that we do each and every week, at least to the best of our abilities. I'm sure we miss here and there. But to cover the sermon that we focused on this past Sunday, if you've been with us at all in the fall, you'll know that we've been in a sermon series concerning concerning worship, a word that is talked about a lot, that you hear a lot, but just trying to see what is what is worship, what is who are we worshiping, what is worship supposed to look like, what are different facets of worship, is our whole life worship, uh, public worship, private worship, family worship, all these different things we've been trying to talk about and, and look at, and so this week, we found ourselves with the question, asking the question, how are we called to approach worship? We're starting to transition a little from general worship, general thoughts about worship, to a more specific area of public worship. And now this question, how do we approach worship, can be it does play into our private worship, our family worship, and also our public worship, our gathering together as the church. It plays into all of that. But I know in my mind, I was more specific about public worship and thinking about that as we gather together on Sundays, Sunday morning, how are we then to approach that time together? Uh, And I'm trying to think of it in terms of our whole being as well. So our attitude, our emotions, our feelings, even physically, right? I want to, how how am I supposed to come and approach God in worship, because there are some very specific things that God would say in the Old Testament to the people of Israel when it came to uh, dealing with the tabernacle or the temple or sacrifices or festivals. He laid out, this is how you are to approach this. This is what you're supposed to do. And there was a lot that was involved in that, uh, in those ceremonies and those different things. Now, we know that with Christ coming, things have changed from that. Christ fulfilled a lot of those ceremonial uh, requirements that Israel had. And so we can't necessarily go to those to see, well, what do I do to approach worship? Because Christ has changed uh, some things there. Or he, I shouldn't say he's changed them. He fulfilled them is a better way to, to say it. And so uh, that still leaves us with that question, how do we approach God in worship. And at the beginning of the sermon, I wanted us to reflect back to what our second sermon was in this series, asking the question, who is it that we worship? Because I think that has an impact then on how we approach approach our our worship. And and so as we think about God and who he is, you have to think about his attributes. You have to think about all of that that uh, is within him. And so we could go to a lot of different attributes, but in that sermon, particularly, we focused on the holiness of God and what that looks like in Scripture and what we're told there. And so we have some instances in the Bible of when the holiness of God or the glory of God even would be revealed or seen, and we see the people's response, and the response is always terrifying. They're scared. Uh, they tremble. There's great fear. There's an acknowledgement of who they are and how separate and how holy this this God really is. There's this quick understanding of that. And so when we think about God today in our worship, one of the things that we do not need to do is separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament because it's 
It's the same God. And so the same God that was holy there and people brought fear into these people, it's the same God that we worship each and every day and worship when we gather together. And so we have to keep that in mind. But we also know some things about God too that that aren't necessarily, doesn't bring fear. He's a God of mercy, a God of of grace, a God that's loving and kind and gentle and patient, right? And steadfast and long-suffering. We see all these truths about God. And so when we think about this, it does, it should then impact how we approach him. And so our, our main passage that I, I wanted to focus on was in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 29, uh, because it, it, it references Moses and Israel at Mount Sinai. When God called for the people to gather together, he's going to give them a law. He's going to speak to them. He's going to show them. His holiness is going to show them who he is. And the people just tremble with great fear, right? There's just this fear. and But the writer of Hebrews uh, reminds, is trying to tell this church, you don't come to this mountain, Mount Sinai. You don't come to this mountain on fire and a blaze and a fear that even animals should be stoned if they touch this mountain, right? You come to something different. Uh, he doesn't say it necessarily here in this passage. I don't. No, yeah, he does. He says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, judge all, and to the spirits and righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, saying, there's a difference in how we approach worship, he's saying, how we can approach God. Because of what Christ has done, we come through Christ, the mediator. So there is a difference. So it's like, okay, well, then what does that mean? Well, he says, he ends up saying, you know, don't refuse him. But he gets down to verse 28. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, that's making you think back to the mountain being shook, mm-hmm. you know, and all this. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I think this is just really important. And I, I maybe stayed on this section a little too long because I think when I look around at worship, church worship, and I do this, I look at other churches, worship service, Spencer, you and I were in my office Wednesday or something last week. Yeah. And we watched a few worship services, some from like local areas, some from churches nationally all around. And one of the things that I feel like I gather from a lot of it is a lack of reverence in those services. And I almost feel like I'm being an old fuddy-duddy. Some like I could see people throwing that at me, you know. But I just it seems like reverence and awe of God isn't the main focus. It's almost like as I'm watching these on YouTube or whatever, that the focus seems to be something else. Honestly, it seems to be an awe for the church instead of for the the God that the church should be serving. So it's like, look at our cool uh, background. You know, look at our look at our cool band or our cool music or look at our cool pastor. Mm-hmm. Look at our look at how we dress and how cool that is and how hip how hip we are. 
And it's really sad because, I mean, and again, we, we looked at quite a few different places and it just seemed like there was a real lack of what the writer of Hebrews says to be focused on. Mm-hmm. Give acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I don't know how to do. Yeah, I think we saw churches that are <clears throat> churches that have thousands upon thousands of people right. worshiping one way. And then you see churches that are trying to don't have that same numerical amount, but they're trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things I agree, <clears throat> I think um, there was a, a lack of, um, of reverence and all. I think now, and I think on the one hand, you're right. We don't want to, we want to be careful about assigning, assigning motives to people right? Um, that we don't have them directly saying, this is my motivation. Mm-hmm. And we also want to be, so we want to be cautious about that. But on the other hand, I do think that whenever you read the scriptures and you read the, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, there is a consistency in, um, uh, and this is not simply sinners, but believing sinners and their approach to worshiping the true God that is found there. And you, you talked about um, Exodus 20. Um, I mean, for me, honestly, and I think this is ties into your sermon, much of what you were saying just is an application of the third commandment, yeah. mm-hmm. not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. And that principle, it doesn't simply mean don't say certain words or certain phrases. The bigger thing is we are to revere and uphold God's reputation and his character in our hearts and in, and to encourage people to do so in the hearts and lives of other people. And so we can violate the third commandment in public worship, not simply by saying inappropriate phrases or words, but also by our attitude or by the way we approach him. We are taking his name in vain, treating it, treating it as if it's just any other, as if he is just like anybody else. And so I think there's an application simply of the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. It also reminds me of um, Exodus 34, because in Exodus 34, Moses is shown the glory of God. And the glory of God is when God passes by and shows his name to, to, the, uh, to Moses. And in that name, God emphasizes his grace. I am the Lord, the Lord of God, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding, you know, on and on. It says, I will not, but, but I don't sweep sin under the rug, basically. I am also a God of justice. And what was Moses' response to this revelation of the God of grace, but also of holiness? Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he prays to God and says, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So right away, this approach of God with, with reverence and all that Moses shows in response to a God of holiness, but also of amazing grace, Moses' response is a mixture of reverence and all, but also of trust in his mercy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in our culture and what we saw in those videos is it's almost like those two things can't be mixed together. You either have to be reverential and awe, awestruck, or you have to believe in a God who just loves people. And Moses seems to think that, no, you both of these things are true of God. And our response also should be one of reverence and all, but also gladness and thanksgiving and, and a holy joy. I guess I, I'm kind of rambling, but I guess that's that to me seems to be more of the appropriate response consistently in the Bible compared to um, 
what sometimes we were watching on, on the video screen uh, recently. I don't know. Just kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I think, I mean, I felt like it when I was preaching. I, it, it just seems like a hard thing to explain, I guess. I was struggling with words uh, to get it across of, of, of what is in my mind with this. Because it, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if you've ever witnessed something and you're like, something's just off here. I can't put my finger on it, but it's just off. And that that's just the sense I get. Uh, even even in myself, I mean, at times, right, of how I would approach worship. It's like, well, I don't know if I'm doing this as, as well as I should be doing this. You know, uh, is, this a, is this appropriate? And again, I don't want to get too legalistic about it. It's like, well, when I pray, my face should be on the ground. Right, I don't want to. I don't want to start saying that and and making people do that. Uh, but at the same, you time, made Scott do that in the office the other day, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he but, deserved that. Yeah, that was. <laughs> but that will we, we won't talk yeah. about that. Okay, <laughs> that was justified. Okay. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I do think there's something to be said. Just of, but I mean, take it out. Take it away from Sunday. Is there something to be said? about how your family approaches your family worship to God. And just in something as simple as where you're doing it or how are you guys all sprawled on the floor, you know, and the, you know, just whatever. I don't, I don't know if our posture, even as we approach worship, when we, when we really think about what we're doing and what we're trying to teach, have we've gotten so lackadaisical that maybe we have swung too far in one direction that isn't legalistic. It's just a lack of respect and reverence and honor of the God that we are serving or talking about. You know, I just, I guess I just wonder that personally, because again, I'm, I'm somebody who, uh, I normally don't get too caught up in that stuff. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care what you wear to my wedding, you know, or, uh, I've, I've said this a million times. I don't care what you do at my funeral. I'm dead. What are you talking about? I don't care what you wear. I don't care if you come. I'm not there. You know, like that's how I, but I'm wondering if that's just a, because of the culture that I live in and I, I'm swinging too far in a direction that maybe should be, should be corrected. And so I, I guess a lot of my thoughts are also very personal and just wondering this about myself, not just laying things on society or culture, which I did try to talk about some, uh, but does that give us a glimpse into something? Because Spencer, you and I have talked about it before. Maybe we talked about this in the podcast, but maybe you remember I said it in the sermon a little bit. But our our body and our souls can't be separ- separated, right? We've been made that way by God. And so we can't just act like, well, whatever I do to my body doesn't matter. No, no, right? It's a temple of God and we need to take care of it and respect them. God's word even says that. And there there is an importance to our physical side i think in in worship so an example would be sing unto the lord that's physical right the singing is is physical or preach the word okay there's a physicalness to preaching the word there's a physicalness to you sitting and listening to it right so there there is an importance to the physical um but we also have again i'm rambling you're rambling i'm rambling maybe this whole thing's gonna be rambling (laughs) which is fine uh my mind goes to the I think wind. That's, isn't that a, a Merle Haggard song? I'm a rambling man. You would out know. Out in the cold. You would know. They let me out of prison. I held my head up high. Okay. Determined I would. We'll play that as our okay. bumper music yeah. in this. Go ahead. 
Okay. <laughs> no, that's actually the word branded man. I'm sorry. It's not rambling man. It's branded oh, man. Sorry. Go ahead. No, never mind then. Because my mind then also goes, because I, I know there's pushback, right? So my mind goes to the widow with two mites, right? You have this guy who's rich, looks good, walks in the temple, gives a ton of money, right? But then you have this widow who comes in very shy and sheepishly, probably not dressed very nice. She's poor. She gives everything she has and it's two mites, which is worthless. But she gives that. And Jesus says, who gave more in worship? She did. She did. And I, it, the same question could be asked. Who approached this better? She did. And so it's not, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, it's about how nice it is. Or this, there's definitely an approach to this worship. But for me, this is just me personally. God has blessed me where I can take a shower. I can buy decent clothes. I can um, use resources God's given me to, you know, do my best to present myself well, right? Um, so an example that would come to my mind with this would be, I remember in high school, uh, I had gotten a call from the newspaper and they're like, hey, you've made the all-region team. Well, the all-region team back then, you took a picture in a suit. I didn't own a suit. I didn't own one yet. I was 16 or whatever. Uh, and so it was like, well, what am I going to do? You have to wear a suit at this. Well, why? I mean, I, mean I didn't even, this didn't even cross my mind then. But why do I have to wear a suit? That's what I would say today. Well, why not? It doesn't affect, wear my jersey. It's basketball. What are you talking about? Right? Well, no. My mom took me to uh, Value City where I got a suit that was two sizes too big because that was all we could find, right? And that was my suit. And I wore the suit to go get the picture and to do the interview, you know, and whatever needed to be done because of to honor that award that was being given because that's what was, was done, right? And I, I guess I just think about that with with my worship and approaching God and wanting, I want to take it serious and I'm just afraid that we've become so lax in a lot of things with our worship that it's caused us to be lax in who we're coming to serve. We've watered him down, and we've watered what's happening with the gospel and the miracle that's taking place here every Sunday of God being with us and speaking to us. We've watered that down so much to where it shows just in our lacks mm-hmm. of everything. It was just like... Well, I think the broader principle you're you're getting at there yes, help me here. is is this, that sometimes we have separated body and soul to the point to where it doesn't matter what I do externally. It's only what's in my heart. And what we're, what you're simply trying to say is that it there's, there's, but there's a relationship between your body and your soul to your external, um, what you do, not simply the things you put on, but what you do and how you do it externally. Mm-hmm. All of those things can potentially be symptoms or indications of the state of your heart. Can, yeah. Um, uh, I think that's what you're trying to get is we've so separated the two mm-hmm. to where, and it's not simply clothing choices. It could no. be any number of ways in which mm-hmm. we we approach public worship, mm-hmm. maybe with our schedule or with our word choice or with our attitude or any number of things. But those things, what it's in your heart, uh, I think uh, my dad had a phrase, and maybe this is you. What's in the well is going to come up in the bucket. Hmm. 
And I think uh, similarly, that's kind of what you're saying is, again, the, the other error would be, well, you know, like the, the, the Pharisees, they judged people's eternal salvation and the state of their souls by their physical wealth or yeah, by what yeah, they right. wore. And mm-hmm. that's not what you're no, saying no, either. No. But on the other hand, it's, but how you use what God's given you and how you do physically and externally approach worship in any number of facets is an indication of the state of your heart yeah. at some level. It can be a symptom mm-hmm. of of something. Um, and I think that's a helpful uh, thing to just be reminded because, I mean, uh, for instance, what would happen if I was to uh, join the military and then I, um, which is kind of a laughable thing right there, but then if I was actually in the military and then I just said, you know what, I'm going to wear pajamas to work. It doesn't affect the way I shoot the machine gun. Yeah, I could shoot it better. I can I, shoot I it fine. I have more freedom of movement. And they're like, no, <laughs> you're in the military. Right. You wear the uniform. Mm-hmm. You wear what you've been given. Um, that would be kind of, uh, if, I, if I mean, it's a crazy example, and it would never probably happen. But what it's saying, the point is, is it would show something of my regard towards this institution by the external choice I took. And I think that's all you're trying. To, I think that was the bigger point you were you were trying yeah, to convey. Yeah, yeah. yeah is, I mean, I. I think about this just in generally as a Christian, right? It is uh, I want to be portrayed by other people as somebody who has joy, mm-hmm. who has hope, who has a peace, who seems to have some wisdom, right? I want to come across that way to people. And so my demeanor and my stature, I want to live up to that. And it's not because I want people to look at Tim and say, wow, he just has it together. It's because when I read the word of God, it says all these things that God has done for me. And I think, why would I live any other way? How could I mm-hmm. not have joy because of who he is? How could I not want to present myself? I'm a child of the king, right? And I, I, I represent him. I want to honor him the best mm-hmm. I can to the best of my abilities all the time. Right? Uh, uh, yeah, another example, I think, too, of what you're saying is there's, there's kind of an incongruency. Um, in other words, the seriousness of the situation doesn't seem to match the way that you're approaching it. One example I, I've seen is, and I know uh, if you've done funerals at all, probably for not very long, you realize sometimes um, people will choose music choices at a funeral <laughs> that you're like, this doesn't really match what's going on here. This is a sad thing. And like one funeral I did, I remember, I probably said this before, but they closed it with a piece of rock music at the very end, and the son was like, listen, I don't want this to be a sad time. We're going to go to this place and we're going to have games and everything. And I think what that came across was this doesn't match the seriousness and the solemnity of what's happened. And in a funeral situation, you're saying you're just ignoring what's actually happened here. Mm-hmm. And I realize that people grieve differently, but it just seemed incongruent. It didn't match. It was out of harmony. And that's what I think is what is being urged here with our attitude and our total deportment is is in all that you, how you approach worship overall, body and soul, should harmonize with the greatness of who God is. This this verse, one verse that came to my mind for, again, for what you're saying is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter five. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's errand is with, uh, with many words. 
I think that's generally what, again, you're trying to say, when you draw near to God, don't be rash with your mouth. Mm -hmm. Don't be a fool. When you approach God, remember, he's in heaven, you're on earth. So um, don't act like you're coming to God as an equal. We come as as the sons and the daughters who have been adopted, but we're really grateful because we are adopted. Um, we, we don't have this by right. We have this by gift. Um, and I think that all of those various aspects, I think, are kind of describing what you were, what you were going with there with reverence and all and thankfulness and gladness and all of that. Yeah, and so as we approach public worship specifically and trying to think about how to do this with reverence, I think there needs to be a humbleness. I think we need to do it in a way that's not nonchalant. You know, we need to we need to come knowing why we're coming, right? Who we're coming to worship, knowing what he has done for us, uh, and with that proper attitude, right? With that proper respect of what is about to happen. But also as we come to worship publicly, we're gathering with other Christians. So there needs to be a respect for them, a respect mm-hmm. for each other, a care for each other. To have some reverence for them, because yeah. God has saved them also, yeah. right? And so we want we want to have that as a part of our service in all of it, in all facets of it, uh, and to care for each other. Uh, and so I think that's real important. Uh, but also, it says reverence, but also awe. And I know for again for me, that's something that I don't feel all the time when I'm going to worship. Uh, but thankfully, by God's grace, He shows me things at times that bring that all back. Right. And I'm glad that he, I'm glad that he does that when he reveals himself to me in his word or in, when we're singing a song or something and you're hearing everybody sing and you think about the goodness of God and you can have those times of where you just stand in awe of how good he is. And, uh, that's something I think we have to fight for sadly a lot, just because of our fallen nature and the sin in our life. We have to fight to be reminded of the, of that awe because God has, and I think this is important. God has earned reverence and awe. You know, there's a lot of people in this world who, to be honest, we should give reverence and awe to, even though they haven't necessarily earned it, we would say. Of course, our mind goes to politicians and different things, but uh, even like with, with royalty, you know, it could be it could be the king of some African nation. But if for some reason you got to meet this person, you should show them reverence and all mm-hmm. because of the position they haven't done anything to earn it in your life particularly but they still deserve it mm-hmm. with god he has absolutely earned mm-hmm. it 100 percent. right yeah there's no questioning of it right the old the word for glory in the old testament connotes the the idea of weightiness mm. it's heavy and whenever we approach god it doesn't mean, again, this doesn't mean that we approach him with the dread of he hates us, he's never going to love us. That's not what we're saying. But there is a, a grandeur, uh, a majesty about God, um, a weightiness about who he is um, that should inform our approach. Um, and that, and actually, it's because he's weighty that we have such a sure salvation. Yeah, and we feel that weight, but also there's just there's some things about God that because because of the attributes of God that he's given us some of those attributes too but we would stand in awe of it as his attribute and not human so mm-hmm. my my thought is cuz i said this in the message we stand in awe of, of God's creativity 
I stand in awe of people's creativity all the time. You know, when you look back in time, it is amazing to me, uh, Henry Ford and automobiles and the assembly line. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I wouldn't, what creativeness that guy had, you know, and in, the ingenuity and all of that that he did. And we can see that with all kinds of things, you know, that people create. It's like, oh my Wow, that is really impressive, you know, and you kind of stand in awe of those people uh, or maybe you're really into art and you stand, and you look at somebody who painted something. I can't, I can't draw or do anything. And so you see, it's like, that looks real. How did they do that? You know, how did they paint that? Or how did they draw that? That is just absolutely phenomenal. But then when your mind goes to God and his creativity, it's like, he, he's a creator of all mm-hmm. things. Math and science work because of his creativity. He created the creative materials. That's what I mean. Everything. (laughs) You know, and it's like, just think about that. The things that we see in our fellow man that cause us to be awe of strength. You'll see some guy bench press 600 pounds. You're like, oh my gosh. Or, you know, how you see guys, they'll pick up like the backside of a car. Mm -hmm. You know, and they pick it up and you're like, geez, that doesn't touch the power of God who can just speak and things happen and move, you know? And so when you when you really contemplate that stuff and, and really meditate on it, as God reveals himself to us in his word in these ways, it should uh, cause us to be in awe of him uh, and to really look at him in that way and, and to be in awe of the fact that we have the privilege to gather together to worship him. Because the truth of the matter is the greatest artist in the world doesn't want Tim around. What am I? Who am I? The greatest athletes in the world don't want Tim around, right? The strong men of the world are going to look at me and laugh. They don't want me around. But the the one who actually has earned awe wants me around so much that he sent his son to die for me in my place so that I could be around, so I could be in his kingdom. And that should cause us some awe and to marvel at... Uh, his goodness to us. You got anything? Anything else on that? Sorry. I was just thinking that. Oh, I mean, Scott's here. Oh, what do you uh, know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Um, Sorry. I mean, as you guys have been talking, I've been um, thinking about the passage from Hebrews 12. I think it's just interesting to think about the context of where this passage is in the book of Hebrews and what the author of Hebrews has just got done talking about in terms of enduring, yeah. looking to the past Mm -hmm. and those of faith in the past. And then he's just got done exhorting those in chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight the paths for your feet. And talking about the discipline of the Lord, the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. And then all of a sudden now, after saying all these things, goes into uh, realizing that you've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving that kingdom and offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And just based on the context of what would that mean to offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe, it seems that part of the thrust of that is to um, to not come to the Lord having not dealt with your own sin, to, to come, you know, in terms of like I think of a person who's flippantly coming to the Lord would be a person who is, spent the whole week sinning and then goes to church with an unbothered conscience mm-hmm. about that. It, may, it I turn to, uh, I mean, a well-known passage, Psalm 51, 
where David says in verse 16, for you will not delight in a sacrifice or I would give it. That's talking about his worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So I think there's a direct line of application in terms of what does it mean for me to approach God on Sunday with reverence and awe. I think it means that you need to come broken over your sin. You need to don't treat that flippantly. If you've been living as if God doesn't exist throughout the week, and then all of a sudden He does on Sunday, and it doesn't change the way you view your life, or you've you've if you feel free to approach God in worship while allowing sin to remain, uh, or like what He says early in verse twelve, a root of bitterness, allowing that to remain, I, you're in danger of approaching God in a mm-hmm. irreverent manner. Um, thinking that he will accept worship from you, yeah. um, not having dealt with that. Um, I just think that's, if, we, if we're thinking of like, what does it mean to worship God with reverence? I think that's a direct line of application we can make from that text. Yeah, um, you need to come prepared and dealing with your sin. Like you said, I think, that's a, I think that's a good point. Another thing that we do today too often, I see, is we come to worship, but really what we're thinking about is what's going to happen after worship. Because we have a schedule, we have things to do, and it almost it almost we treat God almost like the contractor who comes to your house. You know, you finally get a contractor to come to your house, and you're like, "It's not a huge job. I just need you to do this," and He treats it as if it's not a huge job, and it's just flipping about it, and He's just trying to move on to the next one that's going to get Him more money, mm-hmm. and in fact, might not even really want to do the job that you're asking Him to do, and you just feel like, "Man, I I'm not important to this guy at all. I don't even know if he's going to do a good job." And you're just like, "I don't I don't know if I want to go with him." You know, or do it. I want that contractor who's gonna. I seem like top priority, right, to him. I wonder how often in our worship, as we approach Sunday, you know, we just do we treat God as our top priority? You know, it's like this is what we get to do today. We get to go to church together and we get to worship God. You know, and I'm not thinking about what's coming next. Or, I mean, sadly, a lot of people schedule stuff on Sundays. And, you know, even you hear it in the church, people talking about, oh, yeah, after church, you know, we're we're all getting together for this and that. And it's like, well, that's what they're planning for. They weren't, pl- they're not planning for, for this. And I'm not saying it's wrong to get together or anything. It's just, are we being kind of flippant about, you know, uh, the, the worship service? not preparing for it. It's just kind of an afterthought. Like, yeah, we're going to go there, but then afterwards we're going to go hit this up or we're going to go do this. Uh, because I, I I almost hate that I like sports so much because that's what I talk about all the time. It's got to drive people crazy. But when I was in school, again, if I had a basketball game on Tuesday, because we would play on Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, I didn't care about school on Tuesday. I wasn't thinking about school. I was thinking about the game that I had that night. And I actually loved some teachers because I had some teachers who thought about the game that night and not about class. I remember getting called out of class at times by other teachers. I'm like, yeah, I just want to talk to you about the game tonight. You play in zoner, man to man. Yeah, I'm like, sweet. <laughs> you got me out of English class. I love this. Let's talk about it. But, but I mean, that was my focus, right? That's what I was preparing for. One, because I loved it. I loved it. And I looked forward to it. And it was exciting, right? And, and it was just something I had a great passion for. And I think you're right, Scott, as we, if we're going to approach this with reverence and awe, it should be something we prepare for, that we think about. And when we do that, we're going to have to meditate on our own sin and want to approach him well, right? With acceptable worship, I want to approach him well. And so this holy God, I shouldn't come with all my 
sin. Like I shouldn't wait till the end of the sermon mm-hmm. to throw my sin sin yeah. there. I, I, I mean, should deal it's, with it. It reminds you of what Paul, you know, what he said to the Corinthians when they were improperly practicing the Lord's Supper, and that that was some of the reason why they had been disciplined. Mm-hmm. Some of them were sick. Some of them had died. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd referenced that not long ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's kind of the same principle. Like you're you're approaching this flippantly, you know. You're just coming out of routine because you have to, so to speak. You don't recognize that you have no right to be here. Mm-hmm. I think well, that's one of the ways in which um, I think about the uh, some service orders, uh, particularly the Episcopal Church, the Book of Common Prayer. At the very beginning of the worship service, there is a confession of sin with an assurance of God's pardon to all those who repent. And I think what that does, I'm not saying we have to do that too. I'm just saying that what that does though for that service is it kind of at least formally creates that posture. Um, Even if, you know, maybe you have an approach, but it's like at the very beginning, remember before we come in here, we come here as believing sinners and God's grace is offered here and, and given to us. But we also acknowledge the fact that, um, I think that's another reason. Like, what are you coming? To, what are you hoping to get out of church? Well, one of the things I do think, as believers in Christ, we should want to come to church every week to at least hear and be reminded again about the forgiveness that we've been given. Mm-hmm. But we can't appreciate that if we don't think we're sinners that need forgiven. Sure. Um, but that is something we. So we don't go to the church service to get pumped up about ourselves. We go, and one of the most central things we go to hear, maybe the most central thing, is to be reminded and to have it proclaimed to us again that for Christ's sake, he was made sin for our sake so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. And we have to be reminded of that. And that actually is a great comfort to the real believer who's coming to worship appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, mean, what you referenced in terms of the, the liturgy of the Book of Common Prayer I mean, we do something very similar. Like yeah. normally that second reading that you do mm-hmm. is, I mean, sometimes you'll even mention that like, you know, we've sinned throughout the week. We need to be reminded of God's grace. And it's more of sometimes a prayer of confession yeah. in that sense. And I think maybe maybe there might be some people in our church who are who hear that week to week and would think, man, why do you always remind me about that? Mm-hmm. I don't need to be reminded about my sin. I come here to be reminded about God's grace. Well, it's... They go hand in hand. Yeah, they go hand in hand, you know? And so, yeah, we recognize that. And I'm not I'm not saying that every family, before they walk into church, yeah. needs to sit there in their car and drum up, like, hey, what sins have you done this week that you Yeah, need, what you should do you know? is share each other. So be like, Dad, this <laughs> yeah. week you did this. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I just don't mean that everybody needs right. to walk into church every week like a wreck, you know, thinking right. that they deserve God's right. judgment. Because what you said, Tim, we also need to come confident. And right. that's what I wanted right. to end with. We're yeah. not even going to get through the sermon that I didn't finish. <laughs> in this. Yeah. Finish them. Finish them. But I do want to end with that, right? Because yeah. the same writer who wrote, he, you know, in Hebrews here, he says in verse 416, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so the same person who's writing, we need to do acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire had just previously said, but go to him with confidence. Right. We get to go to him with confidence. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Right. And we do need to be reminded of that. And so there are times by God's grace, we do walk in here as a wreck because we know the sin we have. We know the guilt we have or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. That's David's Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. He was a wreck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, you know, 
a passage of scripture is read at the beginning of service and we're reminded about the glory of God, you know, and at that time we're still like, I just, I know, and I shouldn't be here because of how bad Mm -hmm. I am. And then we sing a song and then we read another passage of scripture that talks about the gospel, talks about the grace Mm -hmm. given to sinners, right? And you're, and we're reminded in that moment is like, yeah, that grace is for me. Mm -hmm. And if I'm sitting here reveling in this sin and just feeling guilty of the sin that I'm not not actually allowing God to do the work he's done in my life mm-hmm. of lifting me from that guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And so have, hopefully there's like a change going on there. And then you hear a message that's hopefully gospel saturated and true. Mm-hmm. And then we sing a song at the end that hopefully like this week we say, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, right? Of what he's done for me. I, I didn't st- know he was a Nazarene. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Bill Gaither's hymns are so good. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Scott doesn't get the joke. <laughs> Sorry, Bill Gaither was part of the Nazarene Church. I was. It was. Is Jesus a Naz- the Nazarene denomination? I was. That's what I was. Ah, he got heard. it. Yeah, I did. I just didn't think it was funny. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, yeah. you know, who cares about you, Scott? You know what I mean? You know what? Go lay on the floor. Go lay on the floor. Do some penance. No, and also right before what you're saying with the reverence, all he says that we have come into Jesus, the yes, mediator yeah. of a new mm-hmm. covenant. I think too. Watching this, uh, well, I've, I've watched a show, uh, a BBC show uh, called Father Brown. It's about a Catholic priest who solves murders. But <laughs> one of the things that people do, right, is they go to the confessional because there's almost, there's in this heart of ours, we realize we need a priest. And people will do, make, they can make any number of people in their life their priest. Maybe it's a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a close friend or um, whatever, but that's the wonderful thing is God is a consuming fire, but we have a priest to go and pour our hearts out to and all of our problems, all of our desires. God has given us a priest to help us to hear all of our confessions. And it's not an earthly priest. It's the heavenly one, Jesus, because he knows how to deal with all those problems and he's able to sympathize with us and his blood covers us so that we can stand in the presence of the consuming fire. Yeah, that passage in Hebrews 4 is really beautiful because it's talking about a rest. Yeah. How Joshua, the rest that Joshua provided just wasn't the final rest and how the people just have to understand that. And that's that's so understandable for us, too. I mean, we're, we're removed a very long time from the writer of Hebrews, but it's so easy to put ourselves there because it's like, I can't find rest anywhere. Mm. Mm-hmm. But when we gather together for worship, to worship God, we should be reminded of where our rest is found. Yeah. Right. It doesn't doesn't solve all the problems of this world. It doesn't mean that when you leave here, you feel refreshed as if you just took a nice, long 12-hour nap. I'm not saying that. But you have rest for your soul and a confidence in who God is. You're, you're in awe of who he is and what he has done. You're in awe of that he's allowed you to be a part of this family. And all of a sudden, you know that you can take on what is thrown at you because God is your rest and your source of strength. Mm-hmm. And Christ has conquered it all for you. And so it it enables you to, I don't want to say it's like gas for you to get through the week. I don't, I'm don't. i not a big fan of that phrase, but it just reminds you of who you are, mm-hmm. right? And in who you are found and that you can actually have this true rest. I was talking to somebody, one of our members, you know, and they were like, I know I could lose all my money tomorrow. I know that. Tomorrow I could find out that I'm really sick. He's like, but I, he was saying, but I think I could stand here right now and say, I don't worry about it. I don't care. He's saying not because of me being special. He was, he was just saying because of who I am in Christ, of what he's done for me. 
He's like, don't get me wrong. He's like, I don't pray and ask to be like Job. He's like, I'm not asking, I'm not begging for that or anything. But I really think that's true. And that's what we're talking about. That's the rest, right? That's given there. And that's why we can confidently come to worship this God that needs to be revered and be respected as awesome. But we can come confidently knowing that he's forgiven us of our sin and that he loves us and that he cares for us and that he is the true rest the only place that we can find that rest. And what a message that is to tell the world. How how easily that's understood, mm-hmm. you know, in this hectic day of mm-hmm. people trying to find peace in this life of rest and in kids or in family or in money or in jobs or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. right? To say, you can keep searching. There's right. only one place to find rest, and it's found in this this mm-hmm. person, Jesus. And if you want to hear about him, there's a thing called church that happens right. where they talk about them every week, every mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, those people have a decision to make from there, and that's sure. their decision. Uh, but that's the joy that we have in gathering is we know the truth in that, and we get to invite others to it too, and hopefully God would work in their life uh, and in the midst of our gathering of worshiping God. All right, you guys got anything else? Well, I'd love to tell you what we're going to preach next week, but I don't know. Because I didn't finish this sermon. I don't know yet if I want to finish this sermon or if I'm just going to move on to what I was going to do and what I had planned. I will figure that out in the next couple of days, I am sure. But regardless, I guess, Lord willing, there will be a sermon of some sort. Well, your kids at home will get the sermon either way, the rest of that. Usually they get a little bit of it. Yeah, they'll get the rest of it. and That'll be... I'm sure they're looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so they're pretty pumped about it. <laughs> Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, hopefully we get to see you on Sunday. Again, Lord willing. Uh, but in the meantime, we hope that you have a great week. God bless.